Mark chapter 6. We're picking up in verse 30. What has taken place to this point? Well, remember, John the Baptist was, was just killed, killed by the wicked Herod and Herodias. His head brought platter because of a, of a rash vow that he had made. Uh, we also saw, as I mentioned a second ago, that the disciples had been sent out. They had been sent out, the 12 in particular, the apostles as a reference here, but also we see the, the 70 uh, in the course of the other gospel narratives speaking about that Jesus was about sending folks out, sending them out the doors, sending them out into the, uh, the neighborhood to proclaim the gospel. And we come to one of the most familiar stories of all the Gospels. It's interesting, there are only two miracles that are referenced in all four Gospels. There's only two miracles that are referenced in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And and this is one of them. The other one, it's so obvious you'd, you'd skip right over it. This one is mentioned in all four Gospels and the resurrection. The fact that they all four include this miracle is is stunning. The feeding of the 5,000 plus, and all four gospel writers said this along with the resurrection. Of course, the resurrection, we proclaim Jesus Christ resurrected. We cannot leave that out. But they chose to, to lift this up as a miracle of such importance. Let's read it. Let's consider it. Let's not be misled by the fact that we, we know it pretty well. Uh, but let's pray that God would give us new eyes. He would help us to walk away from here informed but more importantly, transformed. This is God's Word. Mark chapter 6, beginning in verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus and told Him all that they had done and taught. And He said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest for a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And so they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is such a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, and he says, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go out and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said, five and two fish. And then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. And so they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and he said a blessing and he broke the loaves and he gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all and they ate and they were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Our heavenly father, What an amazing picture we see there on the grass beside the sea. Father, we we thank you for the recording of this miracle. Father, for the way that in this case Mark records it so that we see what takes place even 
though so many of the 5,000 may not, that we would see and know, and that we would learn here today, that we would see Jesus. Father, I pray that we would leave this place having rejoiced and experiencing Christ here in this text. For your glory in Jesus' name, amen. Well, for those of you in a military or a governmental uh, type context, you'll be very familiar with what takes place right here at the very first thing. We have an after-action report. We have an AAR right here where the apostles return. And this, by the way, is the, uh, the one time where Mark will refer to these men, these 12, as the apostles, um, those who had been appointed and commissioned by God, particularly in this ministry. But they have come back, and they're talking to Jesus about all that they had done and all that they had taught. I'm sure they were speaking about the death of John the Baptist, how the word was spreading and, and how it was impacting. They were speaking about the fact uh, that Passover was coming up. You see, John 6 explains that we're coming up to the time of the Passover and its implication on ministry. But most importantly, they have returned to Jesus. They've come back to their center of unity. They have returned to be there in the presence of their master, of their Messiah, of their Lord, of their rabbi. They have come to that which gives them meaning. This this time of, of sharing what took place is, is, is great because in this moment, the, the comfort of Christ can come on, on those disappointments in ministry. Remember, as Jesus prepared them and sent them out, He said, you will come to houses where they're not going to receive you. you. You will come to houses that they will mock what you're saying. They will despise the gospel. And He explained to them, He says, but that, that, is, that is not on you. You, I'm calling to faithfulness. And as you walk away, you... You can dust the, the dust off of your feet, recognizing that, that you don't carry guilt, uh, but you, you walk away from there having done what I called you to do. So there's disappointment in ministry, though. There are tears that are shed when we tell other people about Jesus and they return with indifference, mockery. Those whom we love and we would, we would desire with all our heart to know as best we can that we will spend eternity with them around the throne, that we would desire that they would know Christ and be embraced in that love as we are. And and when we don't see it, there are tears and there's disappointment. And to return to Christ and find comfort is so vital. But also to rejoice in success, to rejoice in, in all that they had said and done as they come back to Jesus and said, Jesus, as we told them all these things, we told them about the things of God, and they, they wanted to hear more. And matter of fact, we see that in this case, the people just kept coming and kept coming and kept coming. These guys couldn't even stop for a sandwich. They, they were just so overwhelmed with the success of ministry. Oh, let it be our prayer that that, that would be the case, that we're, we're looking, we're, we're having to, to seek out ways of, of carving out rest, carving out that time to, to be nourished in the midst of a busy ministry. And so they do come, and they, they come to Jesus. And it says that many were coming and going. We find that in verse uh, 31. They're coming and going. They had no leisure even to eat, so they went away by the boat. This is the regularly occurring thing. They would get back on the water. Uh, and they would go to a, a desolate place. Uh, the desolate place, the words there are Aramon, Topoan. It, it literally means a lonely place. It wasn't necessarily a desert. We see in a moment they're going to recline on the grass. Uh, John 6 um, explains to us, uh, I'm sorry, it's Luke that explains to us that this is actually right there near Bethsaida. 
Bethsaida was the home of Peter, Andrew, Philip, and Nathaniel, a little fishing village, uh, and they, they found a quiet place. They found a lonely place, and there they found at least a few moments of rest. Ecclesiastes 5.12, it's a wonderful verse. It says, the sleep of a laboring man is sweet. Is there really, I mean, no greater feeling that day when you come home and you are absolutely exhausted. I mean, you are spent. There's, there's not an ounce of strength left in you. It's all you can do to, to, to turn on the shower, to soak in the shower for a few moments, to put on something clean and soft and to go lay down and has sleep ever been so sound. But we find these disciples finding rest in that moment with Jesus as they come back from, from difficult, from busy from a, an extensive time of ministry, and they find rest, but only for a moment. Ministry keeps going. Ministry did not stop. The disciples needed rest, and Jesus recognized that. Jesus cared about them. He was concerned about them. And though his timetable was limited, though he only had a few seasons in which to take care of ministry, he recognized that his disciples needed rest. And he cared about them and he provided. But then, as they boated across the water, the, the people saw them go. And what did they do? Now, it's interesting, given the demographic right there around the sea, uh, it's estimated, based on what's described there, that it probably had been about a, um, about a four-mile trip by water uh, for them to cross over. But for those who were at the point of origin to where they ended up, could have been as much as a 10-mile jog for others to get there. And it says that the people were so excited about what was going on to spend time with Jesus, to follow up on the things that they had heard from the disciples, to to be healed, to be taught, to be led. It says they ran. They ran. Many saw, verse 33, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and they got there ahead of them. So you can just see this multitude jogging and trotting along with the kids, with the wives, with the daughters and the sisters and the men and all of them coming. And as they pass through these little, little areas along the shoreline and people would say, what's the hurry? Where are you going? And they're saying, we're going to see Jesus. And so many would have run for 10 miles to see Jesus. And so when they got there, they come there. Jesus doesn't scold them. He doesn't send them away. In verse 34, it says this, Where he went ashore, he saw the great crowd, and he had compassion on them. It says his heart, literally his heart went out to them. He was moved in his inner being. This is a Savior who understands. This is a Savior who cares. This is a Savior who looks and he says, What's the problem here? And, and, and how can I be the remedy He saw them, and how does he describe them? Like a sheep, like a flock that had no shepherd. Isaiah 53.4 speaks about Jesus and speaks about the the extent to which he understands. It says, surely he has borne our griefs, and surely he has carried our sorrows. That idea that, that when we weep, our Savior weeps. The things that hurt us hurt Him. That He is not uh, some, some uh, sovereign who says, well, let them eat cake. With, without an understanding, without uh, a degree of sympathy, our Savior, as Hebrews tells us, is able to understand. He's able to sympathize, for He's like us in all ways, only without sin. And so it says His inner being. It, it yearned, it ached for them. And it refers to them as sheep without a shepherd. 
This is a phrase that we hear. Uh, we think of biblical phrases, and so often we just assume that's just a biblical phrase. That's just a, a phrase that's used, and, and we accept it and don't really give it much thought. Uh, but if you go and you, you reference and you look at where this idea of sheep without a shepherd comes from, we, we see uh, Micaiah referring to uh, uh, the time of Israel under King Ahab. Remember Ahab and, and Jezebel? Uh-huh. Referred to the, the Israel at that time as being like sheep without a shepherd. That Israel was in chaos. That it was in great tumult. And there was no leader. And the people, they had no, no hope, only despair. But we can go back even further than that. Hold your, your thumb right there and, and mark and turn with me to Numbers. The book of Numbers, chapter 27. Yes, I'm going to give you a good reason this morning to read the book of Numbers. Numbers chapter 27, beginning in verse 17. Well, now, think about what's taking place at this point. Moses is not to be permitted to enter the promised land. Remember he, uh, uh, his, his failure, his sin at Mirabah, and, and God only allowed him to see the, uh, the promised land, but never cross into it. Matter of fact, he dies. He dies there alone. God himself buries Moses. Oh, but right there in the midst of it, we see that Joshua has been appointed to be the next leader of Israel. In uh, verse 17, uh, we read this. Uh, back up to 16. Uh, Moses spoke to the Lord, saying, Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, set a man over the congregation, set a shepherd over the sheep, who may go out before them and go in before them, who may lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be like sheep, which have no shepherd. And the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua the son of Nun with you, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hands on him. And he goes on to explain that Joshua will be the one that will lead the people into the promised land. Now we pause for just a second, so we see that idea that Mark is bringing out of Jesus recognizing the people as sheep without a shepherd and referencing back to the idea that it was Joshua that stepped in to become that shepherd of the sheep. Now, we lose a little bit because we do proclaim and teach and do all in the English language. But as, as we go back, we recognize that Joshua, indeed, that, that, was, that was the name by which Jesus would have been called in his home, Yeshua. Yeshua, meaning God is my salvation. So we see that in, in Numbers, that, that Moses, Moses is going to, to step aside, that he is not going to be able to lead the children of Israel into the promised land, but it would be Yeshua. And so now we see the Yeshua, the salvation of God, standing before the people and being the one that can shepherd them and lead them into eternal promised land. Israel was in a treacherous time at this point. The sheep were in peril, and Jesus realized that they had no teacher. They had no one to feed them. They had no one to lead them to the water. They had no one to clean them. They had no one to protect them, no one to shelter them, no one to care for them. And that hurt. So I shared with you earlier a, a challenge, a, uh, an opportunity to, uh, to go and to, to just look around and to pay attention to people around you. And, and rather than be moved with indignation when you see people doing things that you look at and say, how could you choose such a foolish path? 
to look at people with uh, a haughty sense of self-importance and say, well, I'm certainly glad that God didn't make me like these other people. Oh, I see, I see you nodding and you recognize the, uh, the sinful arrogance of such a statement as we see the Pharisee in the temple saying, thank you for not making me like other men. But we would be moved with compassion as we look around us and we see people that need a shepherd. They don't need us, they need Jesus. But God, Jesus Christ, pleased to use us. And so Jesus, he teaches them. They're tired and he could have sent them away, but he knew they needed They needed instruction. They needed direction. And so verses 35 and 36 in in Mark, we see him teaching them. But it grew late, verse 35 says. His disciples came to him and spoke about this, this lonely place. There's nothing here, Jesus. The hour's late. You need to send them away. In the Gospel of John, John tells us it was Philip that Jesus spoke to about it. And it was Philip was the one that said, you know what, Jesus, even with 200 days wages, 200 denarii, denarii being what a common worker would have made in one day, even with 200 days wages, we couldn't give this mass of people even a taste. We, we couldn't give them a cracker and, and, and just a, a little thimble full of, of wine. We, we don't have it. We couldn't, we couldn't get it even with that kind of money. See, what was happening here is the disciples are, are saying, look, the best that we could possibly do is pull all our money together. And even if we had up to 200 days wages, we couldn't do enough about it. Their best answers fell flat. Their best answers were woefully insufficient. The disciples give Jesus their best advice, and we see the panic of self-reliance. Literally, what they're saying is, if I work for a year, I couldn't make a dent in this, Jesus. Now, imagine the hunger in these people. Remember? Though the disciples, they took the boat across, some rest in the boat, perhaps, some rest on the other side, oh so briefly. But the multitudes who ran along the shore, a ten-mile jog, oh my stars, all to go to preaching. And then they sat and they listened to Jesus until the hour grew late. Can you imagine how loud Jesus would have had to preach to, 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 be, uh, to not be drowned out by the stomachs as they growled? And the, the stirring, the, the children who said, Daddy, I'm hungry. Jesus looked and He saw. He saw the need. Now the disciples, what was their next option? Said, you know, Jesus, even if we had enough money, it would only make a, a, a small dent. Their next option was to send the people away. The next option was to send the people away. Uh, they, they did this several times. The Canaanite woman we find in Matthew chapter 15. Uh, Jesus said, uh, the disciples said, Jesus, should we send them away? Or the little children in Mark 10, when Jesus had to say, no, 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 let the little children come to me. We, we, we see that their, their options so often. We think about the, also those who were casting out demons and the, uh, the disciples said, uh, but they were casting out demons, but they weren't one of us, so should we tell them to go away? And Jesus says, no. No, the solution is not to push them away. The solution is not to make them leave. The disciples kept wanting to say, you know, leave the master alone. And Jesus said, no, let them come to me. Now, the disciples thought the dismissal might be kindness to the people. We don't have anything to feed them, Jesus. Our pockets are empty. But as we spoke, there were 5,000 men in this group. As, as the text explains, these were 5,000 men. Well, if you consider the, the women who would not have been counted in that number, the children who had not been counted that number, the moms, the sisters, uh, there could have been 10,000, 15,000, 
One commentator said, you know, given the, 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 the large size of families, 20,000 would not have been an unheard of number right there. And to send 20,000 people into area towns, oh my, would a solution have been found there? You know, even Capernaum or Bethsaida, those were towns, they were large towns in the day, but there were only maybe two or 3,000 people in those towns to begin with, and suddenly you're going to put 10 times that amount of people in there looking for food and places to be. Years ago, Thomas and I were taking part in a big bike ride across the state of Georgia. It was a week-long ride. It's called Bike Ride Across Georgia Bragg. And one of the things that would happen is a couple of thousand riders would come into these little small towns, Jasper, Gainesville, other places, as they would work through, and you'd come in. But they had to make great preparation for towns that didn't find you know, such a swell to be vastly more than their number, but it would greatly enhance the number of people there. And they had to be prepared ahead of time, even today. But imagine what would have happened if this great multitude had said, well, let's go into the town to find something. They still would not have been fed. The best solutions of the disciples would not work. And so what is it? Jesus says, what kind of food do we have? What are the loaves that you have? John 6 explains that it was a little boy who had his meal, loaves and a few fish, and it comes back to Jesus. This is all we have. And Jesus takes it. And he utilizes that. He utilizes it in its entirety. He takes this little boy's meal in his poverty and brings great abundance from it. Like the widow's might, she gave all that she had. Like we find Paul describing the ministry of Macedonia, they, that they gave out of their poverty to, to enhance ministry. That, that This little boy, this little meal. Jesus could have made this meal come from nothing, right? He could have said, you keep your meal... Look, I created it all to begin with. I can create it from nothing here. But he was pleased to, to work in that little bit. And so he sits them in the groups. He sits them in orderly fashion. He sits them in, in groups of 150. He does, does ministry well to make sure that, that nobody is, is overlooked, that nobody goes away hungry. And then he begins to break the bread. And what does he do? What does he do before he, he, he begins distributing, breaking and distributing the bread? What does it say he does? He looks up to heaven and does what? He, he prays. He gives thanks. He gives thanks. Would have been the, the proper thing to do. Baruch atah Adonai Elohim, Elohenu, Melech ha'olam ha'matzoi lechem min ha'aretz. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from heaven. He praised God that, that this bread that I hold in my hands is from God, and I give you praise because you are king over it all. And he fed them. He fed them. Now, I love what John MacArthur talks about this. He said, now imagine this. Imagine the food that was distributed. This was bread that had never grown in the ground. It was bread created in the hands of the Savior. These are fish that never swam in the ocean, but they right there were fresh alive from, the, from Jesus himself. This, he says, and I like this, this phrase, it was the only uncursed banquet that any of these people would have ever gone to. For this food was created right there, out of that little, created and multiplied for the many. And the people, it says, that they were satisfied. They were satisfied. Literally, we find the same word used in Revelations, the word chartazo, which means they gorged. Oh, now I'm not going to ask for a show of hands because I'd have to raise mine and it's so embarrassing. 
you know, and you got to loosen the belt a little bit, and you're just miserable because it was so good and you ate so much, and the people, they did. They ate. They ate until they were satisfied. And even beyond that, there is a bounteous provision above and beyond. Twelve baskets. Now, the basket, a wicker basket, was actually in that time very symbolic. People thought about the Jews when they saw these baskets. They would use that to carry their possessions around. Uh, They would carry their needs, their meals, that sort of thing, a woven wicker basket. And there were 12 of these baskets that were collected, and, and so very significant. I find it very significant because 12 is such a significant biblical number. We think about the uh, the 12 uh, uh, tribes of Israel. We think about the 12 apostles. I think the 12 apostles is more on point here because each of the apostles, those who said, we don't have a solution to this, Jesus, we've got to send them away because we can't feed them, each one of them then had a full basket right there in front of them. Each one of them had to collect a basket worth of leftovers Because our God, who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ever hope or imagine, did it that day. God, y'all are getting good. I love that. (laughs) Now, so what do we make of this? What what does Jesus make of this? We're going to find that, again, he's going to feed them in Mark, and, and what will happen then next is the disciples will get in the boat, and we'll cover this when we get to it. But the disciples can get in the boat, and they're going to be all distressed because they look in the midst of the boat, and of all the disciples, they only remember to bring one loaf of bread. And they're all concerned because they didn't bring themselves enough food, though the means of provision was right there in their midst. That, that the one, They saw this happen, and, and, and they're going to start worrying about it all over again that God provides and they worry once again. Now think about what took place when you had 5,000, 10,000, 15,000, 20,000, the vast multitude around as it was arrayed back across the uh, the grass under the sky with the uh, the sea back as a backdrop and our Savior began breaking the bread. It was a very public miracle, but it was done in a very quiet way. He did not say, boom, and give the great magician reveal and say, look, at the big stack of bread here, it says he distributed it out. It just continued to go. It just continued to go. And so many wouldn't have seen, but he fed them. So many would not have understood how it happened, but they would have known that Jesus that day gave them all that they needed. And as I mentioned, Jesus was standing there before them and making reference in his heart even uh, to the time of, of Moses and Joshua. And the idea that they were led out of Egypt and the bondage and captivity of of Pharaoh and of Egypt into the land that God had promised. And here Jesus is saying, I am leading you into that promised land. You see, the message here, and this is where we get bogged down in in some of the the side issues of this parable, of this, I'm sorry, not parable, of this narrative. We get bogged down in some of the side issues and we don't get to the real meat of it. And the side issue is this, God will take a little and make a lot. Is that true? Sure, absolutely is. That that, that God will use our meager offerings and make something great of it. Is that true? Absolutely. Is that what Jesus... Because if that was the point, then why did not Jesus preach on that to the multitudes? What you people need to know is that you give me a little, I'll give you a lot. That's not what he 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 was telling them. He was associating them with the fact that as they were fed in the desert, so they are fed there in that desolate place because Jesus came not to give them bread, but to be the bread. That we are satisfied as we find ourselves in that rest and that provision and that comfort of Jesus. 
You see, the the important message of this is not that God will give us what we need, it's that Jesus is what we need. And the the people there now, we're going to find in the, the parallel text that many who saw that up close tried to take Him away by force and make Him to be the king but they wanted to make Him to be the king that they wanted Him to be. And Jesus is is here as He feeds them. He's proclaiming, I am what you need. I am the bread of life. Pastor John Piper said, I do believe in great measure that God created bread so that one day Jesus could say, I am the bread of life. And that we would understand what that means. As we go forth today, we need, we need to recognize that the message is not that, that, that Jesus will provide what we need, but Jesus is what we need. That we would draw close to Him, that we would rejoice in being with Him, even in that desolate place. Let me encourage you, as, as you go through this week, don't look to your Savior as being the one that will give you what you need, like like an employer who's going to give you a paycheck to go out and spend, or a parent who's going to give you allowance to make sure that you can go and buy your lunch each and every day. But see that your, your Savior is your lunch, is your meal, is your strength, is your breath, is what you need, that we would see Jesus and say, it is enough. I am satisfied. And and if he has to give anything else that you would be satisfied, then then you have missed the point of who Jesus is. He is all that we need. And let that embrace us and rapture us. Let that be that which overflows in all that we say and do, not just here today as we worship, but as we live each and every day for his glory. Pray with me. Lord God, we thank you for this passage. Father, it, it is so rich, it is so full, it is so amazing to see how we are fed and provided, not just for the day, not just for the moment, not just in a meal that we would hunger again, but that we would know Jesus Christ, the bread of life. Our Heavenly Father, I pray that we would know that you have given us Jesus, that we would hunger no more. Father, I pray that that would would strengthen us that it would humble us, that it would challenge us, and it would spur us on, Lord God. And Father, that we, like the apostles, would would be sent forth. Father, that we would leave this place and we would make known the bread of life. We pray in His name and in His strength. Amen.